Heavenly Father, may that be true. That we would live our lives being obedient to you in everything that you've called us to do. And there's so many things that we strive for in this particular life, but truly you are our reward. Help us to look forward to that day where we get to hear your voice saying, well done, good and faithful servant. Help us to strive for that and think about that in every moment of everything, every day. Everything that we do, we do for you and we do for your glory because of what you've been for us. Help us to look forward to that day where we get to see you face to face for forever and eternity. You are our reward. There's so many things that our flesh longs for here in this world, but it pales in comparison to who you are and what you've done for us in our lives. We need this reminder here today that what we look forward to is yet to come. When we look forward to you coming and taking us home with you, help us to live every moment of every day looking forward to that and live each moment as if it matters so that we might build up your kingdom and look forward to spending forever eternity with you. Father, thank you here today that we're here to worship you. Thank you for giving us your word so that we might be able to know you. As we open up the sacred text here, we want you to speak directly to us and help us to, to see how it is that we should live our lives for you, how we look forward to that very moment we could spend forever and eternity with you. But before that, that we would go and share good news with others as well. Father, hide me behind the cross so people might see more of you and less of me. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, my Lord, my strength, and my Redeemer, in whom I trust. is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you would turn with me in your copy of God's Word, we're going to be in Nehemiah chapter 3 this morning. You know, as we talk about motherhood and parenting and, and things of that nature, we are all in, in the various stages of maturing. You know, we're moving from uh, infancy is where we, we started, right? And then moving on to adulthood. And as we continue to grow in our adulthood and, and become more seasoned, as they say, and, you know, we've got a lot of life's experiences that we have throughout that life. And for parents here today, some of you have small children and other others of you have been there and done that. And you've got uh, children that are out of the house. Praise God. Praise God for all of Praise the Lord for that. But our goal as parents is to train children not to need us anymore. That's really our goal as parents. This is vital because we're not always going to be with our children. So we need to teach them first uh, about God. They need to understand and know who God is and, and be able to, to, to know who, what he's done for us. And they might have love for him because of it. So starting at a young age, they need to know and understand who God is because it sets a firm foundation for us to build on. And then we also need to, for our children to, to learn about the world around them. Some parents try to shelter their children and they don't want to expose them to the things that are happening in the world under the guise of 
uh, providing some protection. But often the opposite of true is as much as we want to protect our children and, and shield them from the, the ills of the world, the, the kids, they turn into people who are naive or ill-equipped to handle the world once they get older. Once they get from out of your house and experience the Lord, experience the world for what it is, they, they can be in shock. And they're not prepared to deal with things that they come that come at them because we haven't prepared them for that moment. And I'm not saying that they need to be exposed to any and everything all at once. We have to have a measure of wisdom when it comes to that. But as things come up, we need to have conversations and explain uh, what's going on. Like if uh, your kids are like, Mom, Dad, what's a dime bag? You know, that might be something that you want to <laughs> explain what's going on or how that works. Um, if there's um, any, any little ones here paying attention, you might uh, file that away for later to, to ask your parents about that. There's a, an, an opportunity for parents in the house. Now you get to have that conversation. You're welcome. But as we, we have children and, and explain these things, you know, because I said so, would only last for so long. You know, uh, if we avoid these conversations as they bring various questions to us, you're not going to be able to get away with because I said so. Because when they get away with their friends in, in the college, you know, because I said so, it has very little weight. And now they have to understand. They have to figure out, I wonder if this is as bad as mom or dad said it's going to be. And I wonder what they were trying to shield me from. Were they trying to stop me from having fun or... What else is going on? My, my friends say it's okay, so it must be okay. I remember going off to college and seeing all the tables set up trying to get folks to sign up for credit cards. Uh, so we go in and have all these tables set up, and, and being, a, being a freshman, they just wanted to sign up, hey, get your credit started, and so that you can have be able to buy a home or rent an apartment later and it sounded good right yeah i can go and, and buy the stuff that I, I want and like and then pay for it later sounds fantastic however if you haven't talked to your children about um the, the finances when they were growing up how to save money how to what credit is and what it looks like and what that means then um, they might be tempted to go and, and take out that credit card uh, while having a credit card is cool, uh, maybe they, they might think, I can just get away with paying the minimum payment. You know, even though I can't afford this thing, I can pay it off in chunks. That, that's manageable for me. Or, you know, 25% interest, that doesn't sound too bad. I mean, it's not very close to 100, so I, I think it'll be all right. It, it'll be fine. Or, you know, even though I need to pay this, and I don't have a job, but I... I, I'm sure I can figure it out, you know, with refund checks and things of that nature, right? It, it, it would be a disaster waiting to happen unless we have spent years having these conversations with our children to help them learn how to make decisions. So it's one thing to say do and don't do, but we need to help our children understand why. Help, help them understand how to make these decisions because we're not uh, also not going to be able to cover everything they're going to experience in their lives. So it's a, a great thing to be able to see our kids 
go through the various milestones of life, to be able to see them grow. Uh, we have some young ladies have, that went to prom last night. We had a graduation that took place yesterday. And it's, it's great to be able to see these milestones in our kids' lives. And, you know, when, when they're born, they, they, we get to see them experience life. Everything is new and, and interesting, and they, they start to crawl. What a, what a great milestone that is, and we want to be there for their first step. Or when they say their first word, when they start eating solid food, and then we fast forward to their first day of school, all these things we see littered through Facebook that we want to share with other people in, in these first milestones of our kids' lives. We expect these kind of progressions, don't we? It, it would be weird, right, if, if we didn't experience those things. It's, you know, we want to see them launch and begin their lives on their own. Uh, and, and this is just how life works. What would you think if you went to a friend's house and you walk in and they're son is on the couch in a diaper sucking a pacifier and uh, your friend says oh this is my son James and you say um how old is James oh he's 24 wouldn't that be weird to see this man <laughs> 24 year old man hairy Got a beard longer than I do, laying on the couch with a pacifier. That would be a little weird, huh? I don't know what you would do in that situation. But much like our physical maturity, we expect our children to, to grow and mature and leave those, those stages of infancy behind and become adults. We also have the same thing that's happening with our spiritual maturity as well. You might be 50 years old physically, but spiritually, some of you are in diapers and sucking on pacifiers. Why is that not weird? It should be. If we come and we worship the Lord and we uh, have an expectation of growth spiritually, we should be able to eat meat. But like Paul says, like some of you ain't ready for me yet. Y'all still uh, drinking milk. John 3 and 3 says, Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom. Once we are born again, we are infants in, spiritually but the expectation is still that we would grow. So even though you're a counterchrist at 50 years old, there's still some expectation that you will grow spiritually over the next few years. Jesus is talking about this spiritual rebirth that takes place when we follow him and this change of heart and this act of God where we believe in him and receive eternal life with him. 2 Corinthians 5 and 17 says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. When you start to walk with Christ, you're no longer the person that you used to be. Now you are a new creation. You're a new person. You have been reborn. 1 Peter 1 and 3 says, Blessed be to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And then John 1 and 12. But to all who did receive him, 
who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. You see, just as we experience physical growth, we, when we are born again, we should also expect spiritual growth as well. I'm sure you've heard the African proverb that it takes a village to raise a child, and it means that the entire community takes part in interacting with the children and help them to grow into a safe and healthy environment. And from a biblical standpoint, this is similar to what we see discipleship looks like and how discipleship works. A disciple is simply a follower or a student of a teacher or leader. We are all called to be disciples. We are all called to make disciples. This should be, you should know this like the back of your hand on the tip of your tongue. This is your purpose, your reason for being in the Great Commission. Jesus says in Matthew 28, therefore go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you and behold, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. What Jesus is doing is telling his disciples, hey, you go do what I did for you with others and instruct them to do what you did for them with others. Be disciples who make disciples. But the funny thing as we look about growth, even as we look at our children, we look at our own lives, um, when we watch our kids grow, it's, we don't really see them grow. It's, it's, it's imperceptible. We know they're growing and we see, oh man, I gotta buy shoes every other week because they're growing out of them. But when we look here, and if we, it's like watching a, a, a boiling pot, we never, it's like we never see it boil, but if we were just to stare at our children, it's not like we would see them actually growing. I remember one night when I was in middle school, we were eating dinner at a table and my dad was looking at me just sideways and strange. I'm like, what's, what's going on? What's happening? It's like, where'd you get that mustache? I was like, oh, I've been having this for a long time, it, brushing it and stuff. Yes, I had a mustache in middle school. But in the, in the midst of all of our running around and, and doing various things, uh, you you might see them walk around the corner, come down the steps or something, and you look and it's just a curse. like, where's the time going? How'd you get so tall? How'd you grow up so fast? Because for us, it's just a snap, a blink of an eye. You see them every day, and it just so happens that they, this happens slowly overnight that our children grow up right before our eyes. The same is true for us spiritually. You know, we don't go from A to Z when we start to follow Christ. It's something that is imperceptible as well, that we just start to grow slowly. And I've talked to new believers uh, that have been walking with Christ for six months, eight months, 12 months or whatever. And they say, well, I just don't, I don't, I don't know how to talk about God. I don't know how to talk about the gospel. And they surprise themselves that they know more than they thought they knew because they've just been walking along, they've been asking questions, they've been praying, they've been reading the scripture, and then all of a sudden they're like, oh man, I, I know stuff. I know God. I know what he's done. I know what his word says. 
And I know just enough to go and be able to disciple somebody else so that they might know him too. Physically and mentally, you should be different in your 20s than you were in your teens. Each decade of life, hopefully you can look back on the progress that you've made, both physically and spiritually. In the same way, we shall shall be able to look at our spiritual lives and see how far God has brought us and be able to give him thanks for it. Thank God that I'm not where I used to be in all the ways that he's used me. This is why the book of Nehemiah is so important for us as a church body right now because I believe that we can draw parallels between what we read in this particular book and look at where we are both individually and corporately to be able to take some cues from it. We're not only seeing the development of a physical structure that's taking place as they're rebuilding the walls, but we're also able to see this, this unity and growth of the people in this very community. Many of us here today are in a place where our spiritual walls are burned down and we just need help. We need help with our relationship with Jesus. We need help with our marriages. We need help with our children. We need help with our careers. And as a church here at First Baptist Bolingbrook, we have knocked on Death Rattle's door. And if we don't change and realign ourselves with God's mission, then we are being irresponsible. We're being poor stewards of what God has given us. So for a 55-year-old church to be exactly what we were at 45 is just not acceptable. That we need to grow as well. Just as the individuals here, we need to be growing corporately in aligning with God's mission. As we look at chapter 3 here this morning, what we'll find here is the rebuilding work being done in Jerusalem. And as it takes place, it should be a reminder that there is hope for our broken down lives. Brothers and sisters, there is hope for our broken community. There's, there's hope for our broken down families. There's hope for our broken down church. There's hope for the community here in Bolingbrook. And when God gets people who are committed to him, that when they're committed to the kingdom agenda, he works through them in a, in a very mighty way and he develops them. He grows them. I'm not going to read the entire text here in chapter 3 in Nehemiah, but we see these, these people who are living in Jerusalem and they're just making do until Nehemiah comes and he comes and he unifies them toward a common task and a common goal, a common purpose. And with this common goal, suddenly things start to get done. It just took somebody to come and, and rally them around what is important and what they need in their lives. And when, when we see the community come together, they all have various responsibilities when it comes to area of the walls that they're building. We see the, the priests build up the sheep gate that would later house the sheep that will be used to sacrifice for the temple. We see the men of Jericho, Sacker, Asaniah and many others, they do their part in, in putting in the work that is necessary to build these gates. Look with me in verse 4 of chapter 3 of Nehemiah, where it says, And next to them were Merimoth, the son of Uriah, son of Hakaz, repaired. And next to them was 
Meshelam and the son of Berechiah, son of Meshezabel, repaired. And next to them were Zadok and son of Bana, repaired. And next to them were the Tekanites, they repaired. But their nobles would not stoop to serve the Lord. They're talking about, here are these various groups that are coming. They're working together. This group was preparing over here. That group was preparing over here. They're all working together. But here, um, these uh, these nobles, they, they, they couldn't stoop to serve the Lord. These lazy bag of bones. Can you imagine everybody's working around, these nobles walking around like this, getting their hands dirty and just back-breaking work and putting the stuff together. I mean, the walls were down for years. I don't know what... Can you imagine this? They stood out. This stood out to me because I, I thought to first condemn them. I'm, I'm looking and I'm putting myself in the place of the people that are working, and I want to say, how dare those folks stand to the side and not put in the work that that is necessary? But I had to stop myself, and I had to ask... Could this be me? I mean, I want to pass judgment on those folks so bad, but I have to look at my own life. Are there areas in my life where I am like these nobles? Are there things that I think that I'm too good for that I won't participate in? Are there things that you wouldn't bring yourself to do? There are things, are there things in your life that you think that are too good for you to do for the Lord? It's an important question for us to ask as we look at the, the jobs that are, are, are necessary for us to do kingdom work and we think well somebody else will do that I, I, that's not my thing I'm not going to do that I, I can't see myself walking around picking up trash serving dishes vacuuming the floor we're working on the, the pipes. Are there things that you have in your life that you think you're too good for? Look with me in verse 8. It says, next to them was Uziel, the son of Hariah, and Goldsmith repaired. Next to them, Hananiah, one of the perfumers, repaired, and they restored Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. And it's easy to read very quickly through this. But I think it's important that it says um, these folks that are perfumers. You think about, I mean, I don't know how they made perfume uh, back then, but it wasn't a manual labor type of job that they had. They're going and mixing all these things together and these fragrances and, you know, pounding things that they found and putting them in to make them smell good. And here they are, even them, even though they didn't have hands that were calloused from, from working all of their lives, but they knew and understood the importance of this work. They weren't used to this physical labor, but they were willing to give the energy and the time to make a difference in the community. It may not have been exactly in their own wheelhouse or something they even enjoyed, but they were committed to the goal and God's purpose. I don't know about you, but that that strikes to the heart. That even though this is not their thing, they said, look, for the good of the community, for the good of God's kingdom, we're going to get to work. 
as well. Sometimes we need to put our time and energy into use to meet the greater need. Regardless of whether you're equipped or not, I imagine that they, they might not even understood or knew how to do many of the things that need to be done. And so they had to, to, to be taken under somebody's wing in order to know what to do, in order to, to, to put, put these walls up, to, to go and get the cement or whatever was needed for it, to, 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 to roll the wheelbarrow up, to, to get the things that were necessary to, to make this happen. So they had to be discipled on how to uh, build the walls and the things that went into needing, and they were willing to humble themselves in order to make it happen. Verse 9 says, even the ruler of the half of the district of Jerusalem prepared, repaired. So even the ones that are in charge, like, hey, we, we got it. We need to do this. We need to get together, and I'm going to lead by example. This is what leaders do. They, they get in and lead from the front. And not to say, go do this thing because I don't like to do it, but let's, let's do this together and I'll show you how and we'll do it together. Verse 12 goes on to say, next to him was Shalom, the son of Halawish, ruler of the half of the district of Jerusalem, repaired he and his daughters. So women, children, everybody get to work. All hands on deck. This is important. This is important for God and his kingdom. This is important for God's people. Everybody come, drop what you're doing, and let's focus on this. God has a mission for his church and requires all hands on deck. The project of rebuilding these walls was massive. Instead of being overwhelmed, Nehemiah reminded them of what they were doing and why. They, they were some who were more skilled than others. And so they had to learn again, or they had to be discipled during this process. They say the, the way you eat an elephant is one bite at a time, and that's exactly what they had to do. There was this massive structure, this, the walls that were being built, the massive structure. Do I have a picture of the, the, the wall structure? I don't. I forgot to put that in. But it was, it was like huge like if you were to uh, build a wall from, you know, from 55 all the way over here, I mean, it was massive. They were trying to build this wall and everybody had to take part in each, each and every part of this. So instead of throwing up their hands and lamenting about how big the task was and how hard it would be, how they didn't have enough people, they didn't have the right amount of tools. Instead of all this complaining about how it's just going to, we don't know how it's going to happen, they trusted the Lord and they each took a manageable section and they got to work. They did bit by bit to accomplish the goal that they were looking out for. And I hope that this is an encouragement for us today. I know that life can be tough. And, and I don't know what each of you are dealing with, but we have this great reminder that when we serve God, he equips us to handle any and every situation. When we seek after him and seek to align with his mission, he gives us everything that we need. He equips us every part of the way. He has placed people around you to help you. This body of believers that we have here today. There's somebody here that is, is equipped to be able to help you through a situation that you might be dealing with on your own. 
your children might struggle and you're unsure how to handle it. Our communities seem like they're progressively getting worse, but I tell you what, when we try to take on the world, it is too big. When we try to do it in our own strength, it is insurmountable. But let's focus on one thing at a time. And when we do, we, 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 we thought something that might take years, it turns into taking months or even weeks or days. Throughout the text this morning, as Nehemiah describes the folks that are working, I love that he says uh, after them and beside them and next to them, etc. He's, he's showing us that it does indeed take a village. That we, as a body of believers, need to come together and be unified for the common goal. We need to align ourselves with God's agenda together. God wants to use your spiritual gifts combined with others so that we would all work together to accomplish his divine agenda. As we work together and we're submitted to being a disciple and as well as working to disciple others, uh, we all together will experience amazing and unimaginable growth. As I think about uh, one of our deacons, John, I remember when we ordained a group of deacons and they were supposed to come up and kind of share their testimony and, uh, and, and say a quick prayer. John just wears his feelings on his sleeve over, overrun with emotion, he just like praised God and sat down. But that was that was all that was needed. There was more in his praise God than what I've I've heard many preachers preach, because he knows and understands who God is and what He's done for him in his life. And now we look at John, and he says a little bit more, and it's just still. Wearing his feelings on his sleeve, but you can see how much he loves the Lord and how much he's grown from that day to today. And as a pastor, that's something that is, is, is great to see. And I see it in many of you, the, the growth that is taking place when we are uh, reading together in Scripture, when we're uh, in our growth groups together, when we're in our prayer groups. Folks that didn't used to pray, now they're just on, on the prayer warrior side. That is so encouraging to see, that type of growth that happens. As we close this morning, I want you to consider where you are with your spiritual growth. I, I want you to ask yourself, are you currently being discipled? This, this is how we can grow. You know, this is not a Lone Ranger Christianity where we just sit and just do it on our own, uh, by our own bootstraps. The Lord called us to be disciples who make disciples. So are you being discipled? Do you currently have someone that you are discipling? And again, we just, the, the disciple maker just needs to be a few steps uh, ahead of the person that they're discipling. So it's not like, oh, you have to have a seminary degree and, and uh, know all the ins and outs of various doctrines and theology. 
do you know and love God? Are you reading in your scripture? Do you, do you spend time on your knees in prayer? Have you been through anything that God has brought you out of? Somebody needs to hear that. You need to be able to share that with people. Look, it doesn't have to be anything scary or involved. We just need to do life together. We need to get together and get to know each other, support each other. You should have somebody in your life that you're doing life with, that, that you can study with, that you can pray with, and also somebody you can be completely vulnerable and accountable to. Now, that's where, that's where it gets sticky for a lot of us. I, I don't want to be vulnerable with anybody, and I especially don't want to be accountable. But that's how we grow. When we are able to trust somebody, first you have to be trustworthy, and they have to be trustworthy, and we trust one another. When you're able to be vulnerable with them and be held accountable, like, hey, you know, how's, how's your uh, Bible reading going? Are you, are you getting in the Word every day? Okay, so if you're not, if you're not able, if you haven't been able to be in your Word, what can we do? What can, how can I help you? Can we do every other day? Why don't I send you a reminder? Or matter of fact, why don't I call you every day at this time and we can just read the scripture together? Or maybe we can meet. You see how that works? But first you have to be vulnerable and be willing to be accountable to help each other out. And because of this, then you both grow. You're both able to experience God's grace and growth in your life. So, I'm going to give you some homework. When we meet again next week, I want all of you, each of you, to have somebody in your life that you can go to, that you can be vulnerable with, that you're being accountable to. Somebody in your life where you can be discipled and identify somebody that you can disciple. This is, this is the way it works. This is God's commandment for us, for us to be disciples who make disciples. Teach them all the things that I have commanded you. So everything that you've learned from God, you go and tell somebody else. If we want to see growth, if we want to see movement in First Baptist Bolingbroke, this is a non-negotiable. We need to be disciples who make disciples. And it doesn't necessarily have to be anybody here in this room. Maybe somebody in your life, a friend, a family member that you get, maybe they, maybe they kind of know the Lord or they don't know the Lord, they're on the periphery, whatever it is, they're ripe for you to build a relationship with and share the gospel with and be discipling with them. We talk about evangelism, and I personally think that evangelism is just pre-conversion discipleship. They just haven't accepted the Lord yet, but that's still a matter of discipleship. And then once they believe, and then that's post-conversion discipleship. It's all discipleship. Evangelism doesn't have to be that, that scary word. So I want you to have somebody, by the time we meet next week, who you're being discipled by, and also somebody that you are discipling. I, and this is not to brag. I, I personally, and this is how important it is to me, I've got the three or four people that I have on speed dial that I go to and that I'm being discipled by. It is necessary, not only for me as a person, but for as a pastor 
it is necessary for me to have people I can go to that I can be vulnerable with and accountable to. And it's not all, it's not comfortable all the time, but it's necessary. In the same way, I've got several people in my life that I meet with uh, on a regular basis and we're doing that exact same thing. I'm in their life encouraging them and doing the same, hey, have you read the scripture or you have questions about the um, uh, the scripture and what it said in various areas. How's your marriage? How's that going? How is God working in your life? How, how, how are you uh, uh, pleasing the Lord in your career? So like, like I'm asking you, I want to leave from the front and I want to show you like this is this is why and this is how important it is and I'm not absolved from it either so have somebody in your life that you're being discipled by yes yes have somebody that you're discipling yes, yes. this is so important and I don't want to skip this and what we'll know, what we find out, if we start today in a month, we will see God do amazing things through this discipleship process. Six months, man, I'm looking for with what the magnitude of growth that happens within our midst because we made the decision today. And in a year, we were like, man, I can't believe where we came from. When we had 20 people in worship with us, now we've doubled that because we got aligned with God's mission and we shared the gospel with people and they needed to hear it. And now we're on fire. That's what I'm looking forward to in the next year. Let's pray. Lord God, we look to you. You are the one that's responsible for any revival that takes place. Father, we ask for you to equip us, to shape us and mold us into your image so that we can glorify you. Help us to take seriously what your word says, that we would go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that you have commanded, knowing that you are with us always, even to the end of the age. Help us to live that out in our own lives, to take that seriously, and to want to see the spiritual growth in our own lives and want to see that as well in the lives of the people that you've placed around us. I know it's, it's tough, but Father, won't you soften our hearts to be able to be vulnerable to people that you've put in front of us that, that we can be accountable to so that um, we can just be totally raw with, so that you can shape us and motive that you can re revive us Father we look to you for all of this and having given, given thanks for what you've already done in our lives for sending your son for dying in our place and for us to look forward to that day where you say well done good and faithful servant so Father we thank you for all these things in Jesus name Amen